Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our communities. As you know, I've been doing a series on honoring amazing women in the Enneagram space, and I have one of the most incredible, phenomenal uh, people who has like been such a a blessing in my life personally that I know, but also a blessing to the world. I have the one, the only Dr. Egerton on the line, Dr. Deborah Egerton. Please, can you introduce yourself? Uh, Well, hey there, Milton. It is so good to be here with you today. I always love hanging out and spending time with you. Let's see, introduce myself. That's uh, quite quite an ask. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am... I have I wear a lot of hats, Milton, as you well know. True. So uh, yes, I am I am an Enneagram teacher and coach. I'm certified with distinction by the IEA, and I spend a lot of time focusing my work with the Enneagram on uh, doing what I call idea work: inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. I have just authored a book, No Justice, K-N-O-W, Justice, and K-N-O-W, Peace, uh, to kind of help the world understand that you can enter the space of activism if you are willing to actually engage in doing your own inner work, and then you can come out and be able to help all of humanity. So connecting us and helping people to understand how to be allies and advocates for marginalized people. And as marginalized people, of course, understanding that we need to move away from words like marginalized and minorities. I refer to us as love warriors um, because we do have to fight every single day for some things that people just take for granted. So yes, I'm an educator, I, I am a psychotherapist, And um, I primarily spend most of my time now, though, really trying to make the world a kinder, more gentle place. Do you love the Enneagram? Are you serious about growing and being liberated? Do you love to learn and grow in a safe community? Well, my Kaizen Community Enneagram program is perfect for you. I teach 12 weekly classes on Thursday nights. I am only taking around 15 people. I would rattle off more details and all the benefits, but I'm pretty sure you would rather read them and get back to this episode. So simply go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or check out the show notes or find the IG page bio with the link tree or go to kaizencareers.com to find out more information. Learn and grow in safe community with others who love the Enneagram. Sign up while spots are still available. Hope to see you there. So we're going to get into the book in a little bit. But before we do that, something that I, like, me and you both know this, like, a marker of a Enneagram coach or teacher, like a marker of a good one or a person who's doing, like, great works in the world is a person who does their own inner work. And you are one of the people who I constantly look, (laughs) I constantly look up to you to the inner work you do. And even you're challenging me to do my inner work in different areas and spaces. And so I love and respect that at such a high level. So I wonder, could you share like maybe your type structure and maybe some inner work that you're doing currently of what you want to (laughs) share? Certainly. All right. So um, I am a social one, dominant two wing, but I also, um, you know, during the pandemic, I discovered that nine wing wasn't just flapping there doing nothing. Uh, It actually came in quite handy. And as a one, the inner work for me is something that I feel that I cannot afford not to do, particularly doing the type of work that I do. And when I say that, I'm talking about the fact that 
I teach the teachers how to use the Enneagram for the benefit of becoming allies and advocates and to strengthen all of us who are love warriors to be able to show up in the world without constantly being re-traumatized. So the work that I am doing presently is really around the constant healing of my own wounds and learning and understanding how to prevent the trauma cycle from continuing. You know, during this pandemic, as we we watched George Floyd, and of course, this was not a new phenomenon for me or for you as Black people. However, there was something about that moment in time that made it even more uh, difficult to breathe, literally Mm -hmm. to breathe and to be able to to, to recognize that the whole world is watching this and possibly not doing anything about it. And that was deeply traumatizing for me personally. So my inner work involves prayer. I say all the time uh, with no shame in my game, I would not be able to get out of bed in the morning if I didn't believe in God. All right. Mm-hmm. And I do move through the world in a way where I look to see what God has for me to do. So I look for the access and the opportunity and then the sacred and divine, yes, this is the way that I am to step into that space. In order to do that, I have to get very still and listen to my guides, my God, and to really do the work that it lets me calm my entire being. So my mind has to become very still, which it takes time to be able to do that type of meditation. My heart has to be open. And so to give you an example, sometimes for the heart opening work that I do, I will literally bring images of people in front of my, you know, into my mind's eye. And it may be someone who has caused great harm in the world. And I ask for the blessing of being able to understand that that is also God's child. And then I will ask for another image. And so I'm I stay in a space of let me keep my heart open and at the same time let me be protected from things that might be considered more than I can bear. And being a body type, you know, I actually use dance as a way to get into my body. You can, like, okay, before you keep going, people don't know you can dance. You, both Dr. E's can, I'm serious I mean, about my dancing. <laughs> cut a rug up, literally. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, we're bo- we, we, we are both body types, and we fell in love dancing, and we are still dancing to this day. So um, I find that it's very interesting how dance particularly for body types and just letting yourself go. It is so empowering. It releases my sort of my sexual energy, my uh, capacity to feel alive. And, you know, the life force, that sexual energy, that's the creative energy. And I do a lot of creating of stuff and things for people to be able to do this work. So it's, body work, it's heart expansion work, and with my mind, it's just going to the stillness, and I have a a way that I do that where I literally put a thought when it comes across my mind when I'm meditating, it's like I I drop it onto a leaf, and I'll let it float down the stream, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that thought is not serving me or humanity in this moment, let it go, 
but I have a way of letting it go. And um, of course, I'm always paying attention to my oneness stuff. <laughs> you know, the judgy much. I, 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 I got to stay on top of that, you know? Yes, I, I, I love that so much. And for anybody listening who's new to Enneagram, when Dr. E mentioned like release the sexual energy, She's referring to the the sexual instinct, the dump, the instinct of the sexual energy. Just if you if you're just listening, you kicking in, you're like, "What? Interesting, right?" But we're we're talking about the the instinct. Something that like is so powerful that I I glean from you, and I've learned and learning from you. It really is that open heart. Like I don't think people understand. I didn't understand. So. Like if people don't know, I'm 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 cert- I was certified through like your program, right? Using the Enneagram and DEI, you know, I D E and I A, right? Inclusion, diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and um, anti-racism. And I, I I went through your program. So at the beginning, I was I came in and I was just ready for some tools to go out there and just like use those tools and like really show people, you know, like, hey, this is where you're wrong and all this type of stuff. Right. You know, I'm going to change your mind and all this type of stuff. I get in the class and it is not what I'm thinking. It shifted me internally in my heart. And it was like I, I cannot I can't really fully articulate it because it did shift my heart, you know, to be able to move to a space internally where it's like, okay, how do I honor somebody else's humanity while still honoring my humanity and still telling and saying the truth and having healthy boundaries? Like, like you know, all of those things, oh, that, that, that messed me up the whole, the whole, the whole course. That was what was happening inside of me. Like, I was like, I wasn't ready for this. I didn't know I signed up for this. And, and it has, it has really, it has really transformed me the way. And then even the way I see that you work with people, you know, like I see you work with some incredible people who I feel are very difficult at times. And you just have this open heart to connect. And I just be like mind blown. I'd be like, okay, I see I got levels to get to. I'm still working on this. But I think that was one of the most powerful things for people who want to do this work. It takes us being able to get to that place inside. Like, I can't even tell you how much I've transformed in the work that I do now because of you in the way I approach it with other people. I, I can't even explain it. It's just because it's infused in everything I've, I've been doing. So I don't know. I just wanted people to know that because I don't think people I don't think people really get it unless you get it right. Like you don't know if you if you don't know, you know, right. so mm-hmm. that's true. That is true. Well, what I can tell you, Milton, is that there were a lot of lessons that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King left behind for us. And many people think of him as, uh, you know, just a man who was working to forward the agenda and the cause of black people. In reality, he was working to forward the cause of all disenfranchised people. And what he went through could not have been sustainable for him unless he stayed in a space of pure love. Also true, think about Nelson Mandela. How do you come out and survive what he was subjected to, being in prison all those years, and yet shift the whole nation because he stayed in a space of love? And this is what so many people do not understand about activism. People can go out and they can protest and have all the best intentions in the world. But if you have not done the inner work, then whatever is missing from inside of you, it's going to manifest on the external. So rather than being able to have a peaceful conversation that actually opens someone's mind and heart to a different perspective, you end up having angry screaming, you know, back and forth that neither person is really listening. And so, you know, the Enneagram has the power when you study it to help you stay 
in a state of open-heartedness. It's not easy to do it, but if you do your inner work and you pay attention to your type structure and you allow the Enneagram to teach you how to be released from that type structure, then when you come out into the world as an activist, as an ally, as an advocate, you have power because power is not just something that is external in the body. Power is something that is inside of you and it has to be solid and it has to be, you have to be able to take a stand, not a position. So when you take a stand, then you are standing in integrity for something that is good and right and for and it, and it, it has a, a component to it that allows it to be a stance that is for all of humanity. I, I speak about this particular thing all the time. When, say, white-bodied people do things to black or brown-bodied people, when uh, heterosexual people do things to queer people, even though it is seen as the harm is being done to the other group, the harm is also being accumulated on the side of the person who is oppressing and harming that other group. It is eroding something inside of them. So we cannot afford to allow that to happen to us. And the only way that we stay there is by keeping ourselves open and utilizing the alchemy of love to transmute all of these circumstances into something where we can learn to all live together because ain't nobody all getting on what's-his-face's shuttle and going to another planet. We're going to be right here, and we're going to have to figure it out. (laughs) No. Seriously. Seriously. Let's... I want to I want to talk about the book some and I want to talk about the phrase you keep using which I I love ironically goes with the word uh the phrase but you you talk about love warriors um instead of using like the word minority which is ridiculous because if we look at facts and stats that is not the truth but um right and so right can you can you talk about love warriors and why it's so important to change the terminology in which we like like call ourselves. Right. Language matters. And particularly the language that we allow to come out of our own mouths. For centuries, we have dealt with being named by someone else. And at some point, we, you know, began to claim our own as black people, our own blackness, And that was something that was very empowering. You know, I was around during the say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Well, but we haven't moved beyond accepting this moniker of being minorities. I am not a minority. You are not a minority. But to use that language over and over again, it reinforces the lie. And in many ways, it, it, it allows something within us to shrink and to enter a space believing that you are a minority or accepting the fact that you are marginalized. Now, in truth, we know that society looks at us as minorities and we know that systems have been set in place to marginalize people of color. You know, people who are anything other than heterosexual, people who are anything under, other than uh, evangelical Christian. There's all kinds of ways that we marginalize people. But what we have to do is develop the strength of our own character. And, uh, you know, I laugh because I, I think about when Louise Hay was alive and all of her affirmations are still out there. Can you imagine standing in a mirror every morning and saying, I am proud to be a minority. I am grateful that I am a marginalized human. What the heck? No. What the heck? So it begins with what we think of ourselves. You know, I want the ground to literally tremble when my feet hit the floor. 
because I am a love warrior. I am a woman who has an open heart for all of humanity, but I am also not going to accept your version or anyone's version of minority or marginalization because I'm a child of God just like everybody else. I know that the divine, the creator, did not marginalize nor create me to be a minority. I was created mm. to be powerful. Oh. I was created to step fully into that power. And I Speak have on. done that for most of my life. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that right there. Oh. And so, Milton, I will say this to you. When people say, you know, um, it's a shame the way uh, people of color are, uh, the minorities are marginalized. Start correcting people and right. say, excuse me, but we're love warriors. <laughs> right. And, and watch the reaction to that. Ooh, I love that because it definitely describes us. Like, mm -hmm. to, to do the work, we, that's the state in which we truly have to be in and carry with us on a regular basis, right? Abs absolutely. I mean, every day. I had a conversation earlier that was literally around love warrior. Like, it literally was around this. It's right, you know, and actually being effective in what we're doing and still being healed and still being a warrior, you know, right. and still knowing that, that it, it is fierce out here in mm -hmm. a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that so much. It's, it's just, it's so rich on so many levels. So many levels, it's rich. So I want you also to share something else that you speak on, because I think people need to, I, there's so many things you, you, <laughs> that you have experienced and you've come up with in your creativity that the world needs to hear. So <laughs> I have another thing I really want you to share. So there's this phrase that people use when they talk about America called this melting pot. Mm. Can you speak to what you call America and, and, and what we should be looking to be more like? I certainly can. I call it the humanity mosaic because from childhood, you know, I learned about this melting pot in elementary school and it just never resonated with me. You know, a, a, a melting pot. People come from all different places and they jump into this pot and we just sort of homogenize them and everything becomes sort of a monolithic gray strange, muddled mess. Mm -hmm. And I began very early on, I you know, was born and raised in New York City. And so I was always around a tremendous amount of diversity. And I found the diversity that I was exposed to, to be fascinating. I loved the fact that, you know, I grew up in a way where I saw people from all different cultures and the way that the different cultures express themselves. And so to me, it became, at first it was like a tapestry. And then it became more of a mosaic because it became shinier and more precious the way each intricate culture would fit into this mosaic of the world. And the way we are created is not a mistake. I mean, you know, we are from different parts of the world. We have different cultures. We have different ways of being in the world. And if we can learn to really look at that and appreciate it and think of each color, each uh, culture as a, as a brilliant color, a tile that goes in to form this mosaic of the earth, that is something I can get with. But if you need to throw me in a pot and boil me down and melt me so that <laughs> I, I get absorbed into whatever it is you need for me to be, which is kind of what society has tried to do. But, you know, like I said, from an early age, I have fought against that. Um, I am very proud of my culture and my heritage. I... I love being a black woman. If given a choice, in spite of what I call automatic advantage, I would choose to be me. 
So what I, I'm thinking is, in so many ways, I am trying to get people to change their perspective on this notion of being a melting pot. You know, that is assimilation to the highest power. And mm -hmm. we don't need to assimilate. We actually need to educate. And as we educate, we need to learn to appreciate. And as we appreciate, we need to completely and totally be able to embrace and connect. That's how we create unity. Mm. Bars. I'm over here snapping. Like, yes. <laughs> like, like, I'm over here like, mm -hmm, I'm just listening in. I'm listening in. Like, what's the next question I'm asking? I don't know, but I'm listening right now. I'm like, intact. Okay. <laughs> Finding help for your mental and emotional struggles can be challenging. With so many barriers like cost and even feeling safe looking for a counselor can be tricky. So I know it's hard. And you know the worst part? You really don't have the time or mental space to be trying to figure out how to find a counselor when you're having personal struggles. So thanks to BetterHelp, they are built on making counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so that anyone who's having struggles in their life can actually get the help they need at any time and anywhere, which is so important, especially now. All the professionals are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited. And what I love so much about them is that they have a diverse group of counselors with a broad and various amounts of different backgrounds to help all their different clients. If you need some help, try BetterHelp. You can get a 10% off discount from your first month when you go to betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash D-O-I-T. Something, something else that that um, I think is very important is because we're talking about you are like the pioneering person in the Enneagram space for BIPOC people, like in the work that you're doing. So there was an experience at an IEA conference that I guess it really lit an even bigger fire within you to really help the community of the Enneagram understand that like, there is something wrong here. Mm -hmm. We are an Enneagram community about inner work, about supposedly, like, supposedly do the inner work so that we can make the world a better place. But we got issues happening and no one's saying anything or addressing them. So can you speak a little bit about, and you, and you mentioned this like in your book, uh, No Justice, No Peace. Can you speak a little bit about that and just how important it is for the Enneagram community to make sure that we are all doing this work. Right. That is really my, my goal at this point. When I came into the Enneagram community, I was one of very few Black people studying the Enneagram, at least that I had line of sight to. And so I would go to the conference year after year and, you know, there I was, and there would be a sea of white people. Now, I have no problem with white people, never have, grew up with them. You know, to use the old adage, some of my best friends are white people. <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny to be able to turn that around, isn't it? But I'll tell you, in, in 2016, I went to the conference, and I do talk about this in the book, and I had a lot of trepidation about going, and I didn't know why, but I figured it out because Philando Castillo had been murdered by the police with his girlfriend and his little girl in the car. When I got to the conference after I figured out, because it was in Minneapolis, and the conference center was just, it was walking distance from where he was murdered, and I was grieving. I mean, my heart was just shattered. I had watched that video of the, the girlfriend, you know, making the call and the little girl being in the back seat and him being shot. And 
it was just gut-wrenching for me. And I had already had an experience with my own husband being taken down, handcuffed, thrown to the ground by the police uh, that same year. And I used to really look forward to the Enneagram conferences because I love to learn. And I'm very accustomed to being one of the only black people in the room. That is your life when you are a black person and you begin to go into places where we have not already opened the doors. Right. But that year, Milton, it was so hard because I was looking for someone to acknowledge what had happened. If we are this community who is doing inner work and we are not looking at what is happening outside in the world, there was no moment of silence. There was no mention of what had happened just, you know, a short time ago. And my heart was just breaking. It was so, it was a soul crushing moment. And so I did get up and go to the mic and speak and say, look around you, you know, look at who's in this room. And I keep coming back. But why am I the only black person in this room? And what are we going to do about that as a community? So the, the thing that we think about, and you know this from being in um, classes that I teach, a true open and welcoming and inclusive community creates a holding space of trust and love. It, a, a container gets created. And what I recognized in 2016 was that that container was not holding me. Mm. I mean, I was kind of in there, but it wasn't holding me. And I did mm. not feel the love and the trust. I did not feel the connection. I did not feel the grief, the shared grief of what was happening in the world. And I tell most people, and as I mentioned in the book, I say that's the, that is the moment that I truly became an Enneagram activist because I recognize that it doesn't do any good. And I love to quote Father Richard Rohr on this about living our lives and going and taking the journey deep within and finding out what's there coming back out and pick, taking responsibility for all of it. So if there is bias, if there is um, prejudice, if there is racism, if there is homophobia, if that's inside of you and you're doing your inner work, then nothing that you do not surface will ever be cured. It will never be dealt with. It's got to be surfaced and it has to be addressed. And um, so my message has been helping people to surface, address, and to be able to lead in that space because they've done their own work. Mm. I feel that so much because something that that hit me because I, you know, I I understand the ex definitely experience of being in the space and not feeling understood or connected. It's 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 like a. It's, it's like the, the loneliest feeling for a BIPOC person to be yes. in a space where people are supposed to care and no one actually cares or checks in on you. Mm -hmm. Like that is one of the most loneliest experiences or feelings like I've ever personally felt, yes. you know. So, so when you're speaking about that, I'm literally over here feeling it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. it's so real. Yeah. Whew. And so that leads to like a, a catapult of amazing things. So it's so many things I want to talk about. So I'll stay with the book right now. <laughs> so the book, what is one of the things that you're excited for people to really dive into when they read uh, No Justice, No Peace? What is one of the like really exciting parts of it that you like juicy? Like it's like I love when they get into back to read this part and really break it down. Cause I love how you break things down in there and how you deliver truth with love. That's the, I don't know if people understand, like you deliver truth with love and that's the beautiful part about the book. So can you share make what is like maybe your favorite or most juiciest part that you can't wait for people to dive into? 
Well, I, I would say that the section about the inner work is very juicy because I talk a lot about how we have a lot to unlearn and then relearn. And if we're not willing to unlearn some of the messages that we got from our early messengers, we're not willing to look at what we, you know, I, I talk about how when we leave home, our family or well-intentioned people pack us up with this whole suitcase of stuff. And the majority of people go through life without ever examining what got put in that suitcase uh, or in that steamer truck and trunk in some cases. But to do the inner work, uh, you really have to include looking at your biases. And you have to include looking at the lies that we've all been told. And this is, this is something that I don't think that people recognize when we, as love warriors, talk about trying to make the world a kinder place for all of us. And it is that not only were white-bodied people taught certain things that are not true, but we, as love warriors, were taught the very same thing. So it's a very confusing mess. And if we look at what we have to do to be able to come to a place of accepting truth, accepting truth and working with truth, and I take it into looking at what it looks like if you are what I call a person who is active and active othering, passive othering, and uh, of course the love warrior and the, the people who actually have become advocates. And I break that down in every single type with examples. Othering is the umbrella term that I use for treating people as less than. So when we look at what it looks like in each type to actively hate right. on people, when we look at what it looks like for the passive othering, and that's the category that I want everyone to focus on because you, you can't be in it a little bit or just not be in it but have a good heart and wish it was better if you're not participating, then you are othering human beings by being passive. So we're living in a world, in a time, where we can't afford to just sit on the fence. If you're not actively doing something, maybe that's talking to your family, maybe that's talking to a friend, maybe that's talking to your children, as you're raising them about the way the world is structured and the way that we're trying to make it better. If we're not speaking truth to the people around us, then things will not change. They will not get better. And we know from our Enneagram studies that the majority of the world is asleep. And so we have to wake up and we have to see that when people speak out about being treated less than anywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, there should be a response. Yes, I care about what's happening with black people. I happen to be black, but I'm not having a party over what's happening to the women over in Iran right now. That's right. You know, I'm not thrilled about what I'm seeing about colorism in Mexico. I am heartbroken about what I just read yesterday about how 85% of the mortality rate for women and babies in this country could be prevented. So we have to wake up and look at what's happening in the world around us and then come back out and be able to play our part wherever we are. It doesn't matter if you only have one little stone to throw in the pond. 
it will still make ripples. So that's what I want people to see. Rich, so rich. Something that even just mentioning, going on what you were saying, like even the stuff happening in Ukraine. See, if I didn't go through like your certification, like I wouldn't have necessarily empathy for the people in Ukraine because yeah. of how they treated the black people and people trying to get out of color. When people were trying to get out, they treated them like pure mm -hmm. garbage. Yes. Unfortunately. And that it definitely infuriated me. But because of your class and because of working with you, you know, I've learned I still have empathy and love and compassion for them as well. Even though I, despite, I like, you know, despite being frustrated around how they treated people of color trying to leave at the beginning of it, I still have a empathy and compassion for them as well. Um, so that's a, that's another space where it's kind of like, yep. I, I've noticed that that shift in myself where, you know, it's anybody's humanity when it's in, infringed upon, it bothers me. Like it, deeply bothers me. And that's um, what it should do. Yeah. You know, that's where all of us need to wake up and recognize that an atrocity anywhere is an atrocity everywhere. Um, when you are uh, murdering people, when you are locking people down into servitude where children are starving, um, where people are subjected to disease with no care. We can go on and on and on. But I don't see the point of inner work if all you're going to do is think about yourself. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm afraid I don't get it. I tried. I tried to figure that out, but it's just not working for me. It's not working. It's got more egoic. It just yes. it just got super egoic in yes. your work. You're becoming more egoic. Exactly. That's definitely not the purpose. Mm -hmm. um, oh my goodness! So I, I I love that. I did a presentation um, called "Inner Work and Outer Work" based on things I learned from you. So one thing I, I do want to mention uh, because going back into those pandemic years, um, it was really rough. Like you said, it was really rough. I as a seven. I couldn't get out of bed some days because of what was happening in our society, right? Like I, I, I literally just stayed in bed, and I wasn't I wasn't sleepy at all, but I was, I was I, I mean I'm not clinically depressed, but I was depressed. If you talk about just a generic definition of it, you know, I was sad, I was mad, I was hurt. It was all of them, right? And as a seven, I was like, I don't know what to do with this, and I'm stuck in the house. Like I, I don't have any distractions really, so. Something you did, I think, was so profound, and I did not understand at first. I was like, what in the world is this? Like, how is this going to work? Like, you know, I'll show up. You had, what, what did you call it? Zoom? It was... Healing Humanity. Yeah, it was like healing man, like healing Hi sessions. Healing and sessions. I was, and I was like, this is what I said in my head. I was like, what in the world are we doing? Like, this don't make no sense. I'll show up because it's Dr. E. I'm going to show up. And um, it was so profound because... In my mind, I was like, what this, what's this going to do? You know, and I showed up and it was like so good for me to be there. It was so helpful, so healing to have people actually be able to listen to people yes. of color speak on how they're being impacted and actually listen with the open ear and an open heart. It was crazy. It was very healing and helpful. I did not. I didn't realize how important it was until we did that. Mm -hmm. And and so, can can you speak on like how that how that came about and resonated with you? Because you know, in my mind, it just didn't it didn't click that it would really help. But my goodness, it was great. Well, you know, historically, Milton, as people of color, we have not been given the space for our own healing. There's always too much of real life that we have to engage in. And as I have often said, there really isn't anything that we, that is a human right that we have not had to fight for. So, you know, be that, you know, back in my parents' days where a black mother could go to have her baby delivered. You know, it was not a given. Uh, that, uh, you know, the, that you could even have your baby delivered in a hospital. 
and voting rights and being able to get an education at any good school, all of these things. So for us, it is trying to not only survive, but thrive, going through all of these mazes in order to just be, just to be. And I can, I can say very honestly, when Eric Gardner said the words, you know, um, I can't breathe, that was a moment also where I, I just, my heart just seized up because I thought to myself, and now the very air that we breathe is also being taken away. We can't breathe the air. I also watched many people who sit in the lower socioeconomic level, be they bodies of color or white-bodied, uh, having to work the jobs that the rest of us had to come in and hide from during the pandemic because, you know, nobody was supposed to be out there. And so the inequity of it all was just very, very painful for me. I recognized how much pain I was in. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm a therapist. I'm a person of color. I have been doing this work for the majority of my life. And... I hurt so much right now, I can barely breathe. What's happening for people that don't have the sort of background information on all of this that I do? And none of the, you know, sort of intellectual uh, explanations. You know, I, my husband's a, a doctor, so I had a lot more information about the pandemic on a daily basis than most people did. And that's when I, I just realized we need help. You know, yeah. we need help. And I started bringing together healing humanity sessions for two reasons. One, to bring together people of color so that we could talk about what we were experiencing and to bring in people who raised their hands as white bodied people who said, we want to be allies. You know, we, we want to know how to show up for you and you remember the instructions you know i separated the two groups black people talk to each other people of color in general just talk to each other and i asked the white allies to listen and they did and yeah. as you know you know when i said you can un unmute your mics we just had a resounding chorus of i want to be better i want to know more i want to show up I just didn't know. That was the most common phrase. I just didn't know. And um, it just got very real during the pandemic. But at, as a person who understands how things live on in our bodies and how, you know, they are, we create these neural pathways and if you're not giving voice to or learning how to release some of this trauma and tension and pain. It's exactly what you said. Some days you don't even want to get out of bed. And what starts out as something that is just a day that you don't want to get out of bed can actually evolve into a clinical depression. So, you know, it's recognizing, I just recognized People need help, and that was my way of helping. Well, I definitely thank you for it. Uh, it was it was definitely needed. It definitely helped, and so that that was that was absolutely incredible. So I, I could I could talk to you obviously for hours, and we've talked for hours um, before. So you know that's not even a big deal. So to kind of to kind of wrap up this episode, and we'll definitely do another episode down the line because it's just so much richness in this. And I have so many things that pop in my head to ask and want, to, want you to share with the world. But to end this episode, what is maybe one thing that you would want listeners to hear or to do in order to make sure that we are doing less othering and or, you know, I got complex questions here over seven, mm -hmm. and or to make sure that we're doing inner work that manifests itself outside of ourselves to honor the humanity of all people. 
Milton, that's actually why I wrote the book, so that people could learn how to do exactly that. What I have been told since the book came out, um, I also did the audio book for Audible. Much like Between the World and Me, you know, there's reading it and then there's listening to it. And so um, many wonderful people have shared with me, tell people to listen to it because when they listen to it, it becomes more real, particularly people who have listened to me on podcasts before or what have you. But the, the message of the book and the message that I am trying to actually send across the world is that if we're going to survive as a species, we have got to come together. We have to, as Maya said, when we know better, we do better. Or if you look at the road ahead and you don't like what you see ahead of you and you look at the road behind and you don't see like what you've come from, then forge a new path. We have to forge a new path and we need to forge it together. The oppressed people will not end oppression. The oppressors will work with the oppressed to end oppression. And if it doesn't happen in that way, then we just have colonization all over again. So we've got to figure out how to do this together. And we have to enter into the spaces with one another, not only with open minds, we've got to get out of our heads and connect to our hearts and then put our bodies to work. Mm, love that so much. Where are some places that people can reach you or reach out to you or find more resources about what you do? Let me say that. It's very easy. Uh, everything is on DeborahEgerton.com. Deborah spelt the biblical way, D-E-B-O-R-A-H. And Egerton only has one G and no D. E-G-E-R-T-O-N.com. Tell them. Um, so there's all kinds of resources there. Uh, there are meditations there for you. There's music that I listen to. There uh, is information about where I'm speaking, uh, classes that I'm doing like at Esalen or for One Spirit, for alternatives, different places where you know I'm actually teaching. So everything is there. And there is a timeline of systemic racism. So you just go to the website, you join up, you ask for the, to join the newsletter, and then you're kept updated on where I am and what I'm doing and where other people are and what they're doing as well. Love it. All those will be in the show notes uh, for sure. So make sure to check those links out. And, and this is a wealth of information and knowledge. And Dr. Egerton is always on the go. So when you sign up for the newsletter, you're going to see like, she's here, she's there. <laughs> she's a little bit everywhere, like seriously, but doing amazing and, and, and uh, incredible things in this world. So thank you so much for being on the episode. I thank really you. appreciate it. So for those listening, as you're doing your inner work, you know, if you feel maybe something coming up, maybe some bias or anything, look at it, you know, invite it in so you can work with it. And then make sure you take a deep breath, do your inner work, manifest it so you can do some great things. And don't do it for Instagram, but do it for the Enneagram and do some good work in this world. And we'll see you on the next episode. All right. Bye. Bye.